Welcome to, I don't know what number episode this is of Turnpikers. This episode is being recorded from uh, Denver Startup Week right here in downtown Denver, uh, where we're going to be running uh, several interviews similar to what we did at Boulder Startup Week. So uh, our first guest for this morning's episode is uh, Doug Llewellyn, who's actually somebody that I've known since I was a, I was a kid. We sort of grew up in town together. And, uh, and we also have very similar jobs in that we both work in... Uh, digital media and sort of publishing at scale, uh, have worked at uh, a lot of different startups and also at, at some of the bigger publishers. So uh, welcome to Turnpikers, Doug. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, so without boring us, because what you and I do is a lot more boring than what everybody else seems to do on the stage, tell us just briefly about what you're doing now, what Perch is all about, sort of what your Denver presence looks like and what your day looks like. You got it. So, um, as Luke said, uh, we work in very similar businesses, sort of digital publishing at scale, which I think if anybody is anywhere near that business, it's a daily grind of a business. You have to sort of get up and have people working every day to make it work. It's not set it and forget it. Um, my background is I spent 12 years uh, working for CNET slash CBS Interactive out in San Francisco, sort of web 1.0 world. Started there in the late 90s. Uh, went through several different iterations of crashes. Um, spent two years between there and Perch at Manta Media, really learning the small business world, which I'll get into a little bit more from a Perch perspective, but understanding that marketplace and how small business owners get information and choose products to help them grow their businesses. And for almost four years now, I've been at Perch. So Perch is spelled P-U-R-C-H. I don't think Perry's in the room. He is the P-E-R-C-H. Yeah. down the street, uh, and Perch is short for purchase. So across about a dozen web properties and mobile apps, we um, help people make smart purchase decisions in what we call considered purchase categories. So we participate in about 1,200 categories, anything from flat screen TVs to smartphones to home security systems to medical alert devices. I've fallen and I can't get up type sure. of stuff across brands like Tom's Guide, Tom's Hardware, Top 10 Reviews. I was just speaking with Danny before this. We own an app called Shop Savvy, which is one of the largest shopping apps in the world, helping people find good prices on thousands of different products. So at the end of the day, you know, our teams are focused on waking up every day and helping people make smarter product decisions through innovative review formats, tools, prices, deals, cash back. We own a company here in Denver called Active Junkie that we acquired, what's today, September 15th? I think September 14th, 2015. So about to hit our one year anniversary with them. Really innovative content and commerce model where they have um, members who join for free to read content about anything in the outdoor space ski jackets, mountain bikes, tents, hiking boots, fly fishing gear. And if you read their content or facilitate your transaction through their site or mobile site and go off to any one of 300 retailers, Backcountry, Moose Jaw, Sierra Trading Post, et cetera, through an affiliate model, um, we obviously make money from an affiliate perspective and then we share some of that back with our members. So sort of an, a, a verticalized Ebates, if you will. 
That's really cool. What kind of uh, volume are you guys saying uh, throughout this whole network on a daily, monthly? So we do uh, over 100 million users a month to our sites. You know, billions of page views, multi-billions of impressions. But what we like to think of is sort of unique or semi-unique in our category is that we're not just an ad-based model. So only about 50% of our uh, revenues on an annual basis actually come from pure IAB-looking advertising. The other 50% is what we call performance marketing because we're so good at attracting in-market, high-intent-based users, it's easy to take the risk of that business model from a performance perspective, whether it's CPC or lead generation or a cut of a transaction. It's about 50% of our revenue. And the other 50% is obviously advertising, which, as Luke and many can attest to, is difficult these days. I think AOL has probably turned into more of an ad tech company than anything else, or at least half of it. And so we don't ignore that. We actually have built um, a really sophisticated programmatic engine, sort of SSP, RTB, all those things built into one that I think is pretty sophisticated from a publisher perspective, probably similar to some of the work that the AOL team is doing that allows us to really understand the value of our inventory better. And um, even with that, we're able to use data to insert sort of our own sort of performance-based affiliate type of ads in there that we create ourselves instead of uh, stuff off the open market. Coming from uh, my side of the industry, you know, we work with uh, brands and retailers um, in physical spaces. Are you guys uh, connecting dots there or is it mostly uh, or entirely online? So we're starting to, we obviously have a marketing relationship with big retailers like Best Buy uh, and folks like that. And um, I mentioned Shop Savvy earlier, we talked about this. They've had some really interesting um, partnerships with Best Buy in the past to try to connect offline and online. Because at the end of the day, if we're not doing that, we're not serving our users best, right? We've got to sort of hit them where they are, where they're shopping, where they're making decisions, whether they're showrooming and looking at reviews or prices or, you know, obviously you know this better than I do, but you can walk down an aisle in a shop savvy now and get a notification or in a Best Buy, get a notification whether it's through your technologies or shop savvy that says this is now on sale for this price or, you know, we do have inventory here, you know, drive a mile down the road, you know, that kind of thing. So most every single listener that we have all, you know, 10 or 12 of them, at some level are, are publishers. Everybody's a publisher now, right? With branded content, every, everybody publishes content, everybody has a blog, everybody has some sort of content marketing to promote what they're doing. And I think we're starting to see a, a huge sort of split in the road of how big publishers at scale that have 100 million addressable, uniques, uh, whatever you want to call it, whether it's impressions or page views or or uniques, whatever you want to call that, something at massive scale, the things that work for them and the things that they do are, are completely different now than the things that people that have smaller niche publishing businesses or even branded content businesses going. So how, how, what, 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 the, what that you've learned as a, as, a, as a big scale publisher applies to the smaller um, what used to be called a blogger and is probably now somebody who manages something on Medium or any other kind of um, publishing platform? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, the number one thing I've learned is that brand matters. And it probably has not been learned from um, 
Perch and its brands being that well-known, because they're not, frankly. We're probably one of the largest publishers that people don't really know about until you say it's Tom's Hardware, it's Top 10 Reviews. But what I've seen in the last few years is these smaller, independent, used-to-be bloggers, now publishers, are really brands themselves. So take YouTube, for instance. Huge publishing platform. You've got folks um, very much in the sweet spot of our industry who've built brands for themselves from their college dorm rooms you know, whether it's makeup tips or, you know, square in the middle of what we do, Marquez Brownlee, right, who's got millions of followers and opens up, you know, boxes and, and does reviews of stuff. So I think the fact that people can, um, if they think about the authenticity of what they're doing and the audiences, they can build brands pretty quickly. On the Denver Boulder side of things, you're somebody who has, like, both Danny and I have done a lot of things in our career in order to make it so that we can work out of here and, and remain employed and engaged in this world uh, while still living here. Uh, I know that's been a big effort of yours. Uh, what have been the keys that have allowed you to sort of move back to Colorado from Bay Area, have the kind of job here that you want to have and, and maintain the balance other than the capacity to travel? and spend lots of time in LaGuardia, which I know you do, but uh, what, what are the things that have enabled you to sort of maintain a, a professional life and be in Denver that, that's worked for you? Yeah, I mean, other than the fact that I get my mail at LaGuardia, and it usually gets dripped on because there's a lot of leaks <laughs> there. But um, I think the word I use, it was actually interviewing somebody yesterday who asked me the same question, is that as a management team, we have really good flow. That doesn't necessarily mean that we see each other once every two weeks for three hours for a scheduled meeting. We certainly do that a lot through conference calls and video calls and sharing on things like blue jeans technology, which most of you probably know what that is. Um, you know, Ring Central, GoToMeeting, they're all the same. But we figured out a cadence and flow where we've got sort of serendipitous, you know, conversations that happen. Um, we make it a point to travel. We use technology to do that. Even having an office here now, it's not that easy, right? There's so much going to shared office space, and I know Danny was in Galvanize for a long time, and that's where we are right now. Um, but Where's Active Junkie? Are Active they? Junkie's in Galvanize, okay. uh, in the Golden Triangle. They're one of the original. It was funny, when we, when we bought them, I think it was the Denver Business Journal, wrote an article saying, this is the Galvanize story. Doug Llewellyn was here as part of Manta and then Perch, and he met... Kevin and Danny, and over many hours of ping pong and beer. I think they mentioned ping pong and beer in every paragraph. Yeah. And I looked at... Just dumbing you down to just yeah. absolutely nothing. And I looked at Kevin and Danny and was like, have we ever played ping pong and had a beer together? They're like, no. <laughs> so it was a good storyline, I guess. Yeah. But even there, it's hard. So it's a lot of, I would call, operational effort as a foundation. And if you have that, the flow actually works in more random, serendipitous ways to stay together. But we have a very distributed team. So our headquarters are, are much more New York now than Utah, where it was founded. I spent a lot of time in New York. Our CTO and chief revenue officer are actually in San Francisco. You know, so I go out there as well. But it's not easy. I mean, you know it. You still have to get on the plane. It's that old-fashioned United commercial from years ago where the guy went around and handed out plane tickets to everybody. It's, you can do a lot with technology. You can't do everything with technology. Just to close out the perch thing. So what is the total number of brands that you're sort of in your network at this point? It's about 15 right now. Got it. 
I would say that... The, and and oh, those the, offices yeah. are fully distributed. Those offices, we've got about 80 people in New York. We have 60 in Boston. We have 17 here now. But we really, we don't run it from a brand-to-brand -brand perspective. We really look at audience and how different audiences, aggregate audiences, I would say, purchase products. So we have a, an operating group that's focused on small businesses. Um, that was an acquisition we did uh, in 2014. Um, started with a platform called BuyerZone that we acquired from Reed Elsevier in the sort of SMB lead gen space. In that same group, we recently acquired business.com out of San Diego. That was in June. I will tell you, while I can't give real numbers, I can tell you it was a fraction of the cost that they sold it for seven or eight years ago. But it's a great brand and a great business. And so we really have a team of folks who wake up every day thinking about how they can help small business owners grow their businesses through content, tools, services, connecting them to sellers of software and services that they can use to help their business. And that's how we make money from that perspective through the, through the vendors. And then we have a team of folks who are focused on the big brands like Tom's Guide, Top 10 Reviews, Tom's Hardware that's more of a consumer, technology decisions, active junkie, shop savvy, of how are consumers using technology to research products that they want to buy. Talk to us about uh, role models and, and people that have sort of helped you move from being a somebody. Maybe maybe give us a, give us one local person and somebody who's not local who sort of helped you kind of move through your career and find out what's either meaningful from the work ethic side or even from the practical how to do your job perspective. Yeah, I would say on the. Um, gosh, that's a hard question. Yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to do that. You can always, if you're like me, you'll just pick like your favorite sports people. Because you can answer yeah. John Elway to just about every single question, and it works out terrific. I usually do that with, when my wife asks me a question. It doesn't actually go over that well. Yeah. So who's helped me? I mean, I think if you... Um, I'm going to get a little sappy here. Am I allowed to do that on sure. Turnpikers? Yeah. I'm going to say my dad, yeah. who's both local and not local. He was someone who traveled a lot when I was a kid. He was in sort of consumer packaged goods I think he was selling soap for Procter & Gamble after he graduated from school back in the 60s. But he really figured out how to um, recruit teams to make him look better. And not that he's not smart and good at his job, but I was able to watch that because he was really close to them. He had them over to the house. He had me into the office. And I just saw this sort of relationship of people who work together as a team. He was in the trenches with them. He was directing them. They respected him. And he figured out how if he surrounded himself with good players on his team, he would get better and the business would get better. And so people I'm very- People collecting. Yeah, I think that's a good way. And I'm very fortunate um, to have been able to do that throughout my career, both um, when I was working at CNET and Manta, and now at Perch, I've got folks on my team who know a lot more about publishing and managing distributed groups of people than I do, and um, it makes my job quite a bit easier. Um, so that's, I'm gonna call that local, yeah. since that's here. Um, I had a boss at CNET who was really good at symbolism and analogy to tell people things they didn't necessarily know. You guys may know him. His name is Matthew Barzin. Do you know him? I know of him. Yeah. So he's now the actual ambassador to the UK. Um, he left the tech publishing. I think he was employee number four or five at CNET. Spent 15 plus years there. 
and then went and raised money for the Obama campaign and did it sort of at scale, crowdsourcing at the masses. So not hosting $10,000 plate dinners, but um, you know, $5, you know, a paper plate dinners. I think he filled Papa John Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky with 25,000 people. When you do that well, you become an ambassador. So he was in Sweden for the first term and he's in the UK now, but we used to sit in his office and in Web 1.0, like, there was a lot, most of us didn't know anything, right? We were just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what happened. And we would have these concepts that just didn't really sort of resonate with a lot of people. And he could go to the whiteboard with a marker and have these incredibly abstract concepts, you know, broken down to, and when you're walking your dog, it's like this. And when you're eating mac and cheese, it's like this. And that's the technology we're talking about. Also, we'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go build that. <laughs> so it was great. And those analogies are things that help his employees and people he work with connect with the sort of broader goals or help him as a leader? Like, are these, I guess I don't understand what you're saying about the sort of analogies. That I, think, uh, I think it's both, right? I mean, if you're a leader and you can't get people to figure out how to connect to the broader goals, you've got a big problem, right? And so if you can say, here's a concept we're trying to figure out. I mean, I look at running a business of, here's our end game goal, right? Here are the drivers that will help us get to that goal. And in the middle, we've got a lot of work to do to sort of figure out how to sort of push the levers of those drivers to achieve the goal, right? But in all three cases, sometimes it's pretty complex and you could have someone who works for your team is really good at coding but doesn't understand what the end game is, right? Or someone who's really good at selling but doesn't really understand how to effectively you know, talk about what your business is and where the value is. So if you can use, you know, real world analogies or essentially dumb stuff down, right? Like we talked about earlier and get your people to have that light bulb moment, they can leave your office or leave that conference room and um, go build. So I try to do a lot of that, right? So I certainly have, um, don't really know how to code. I was responsible for an HTML newsletter once that was one page long and it took me like four days to produce it. Yeah. It's not good. It's hot. Yeah. Um, and so what I try to do is, you know, really sit with my team, ask questions about what they understand, what they don't understand, and really sort of take it out of the digital publishing space and move it into something else that's more real world and say, this is really what we're trying to do. And um, poor I use, yeah, I use the whiteboard a lot. I mean, my poor wife, I brought a whiteboard to our first three dates, right? And so <laughs> yeah. that's how that stuff worked. I think that works, and I, I learned that, you know, not only from Matthew. I mean, we were, there were a lot of people at CNET that were alike, so we all did that kind of stuff, but he was, he was the master of it. All right, uh, I'll ask my last question, and Danny can close it out. How big would you say that the, um, the Denver Boulder tech environment can be? And what would be the, we'll say 2025, if that would be the end state? What does that look like in the best case scenario from your perspective? I hope it doesn't get too big because the traffic up to the mountains will just get worse. Yeah. But, I th I, but I think, in all seriousness, it can be really big because of the state we live in. I think you tweeted something a few weeks ago, like, if one other person says, we've got the best environment in this city for startups, like, you're going to, you know, right. throw something through a window. But if you think about what Denver and Colorado at large, Denver Boulder, represent to young, energetic people who want to work on things they're passionate about and have a fantastic lifestyle after work. And a lot of that lifestyle can be in the foothills or up in the mountains. But even now, if, if you're not into that, the, 
the vibrancy of the urban areas here in Denver and Boulder is, is pretty interesting. You see everybody's moving urban. People are not buying cars. They're renting. Uh, I spent some time up at Techstars in their last class talking to these guys who are building portable or wall-based gardens right now. I'm sure there are other markets in Denver that that's good for that we won't talk about here. And it's really like we're capitalizing on the urbanization of America, right? And so everybody's moving in town. So when you think about young people leaving college, wanting to get involved in stuff, not making a ton of money, San Francisco is really, it's almost out of control right now how much money you need to have to rent an apartment in San Francisco. So I think Denver Boulder with uh, the universities, now with Galvanize, with the different code schools, with the fact that the city has so much more to offer, the outdoors have so much more to offer, it can be exponentially bigger than it is today. Would that be good? I think mostly that would be good. What would be not good about it? I think it would be not good if it were just... Other um, than the traffic because you're sort of a self-consumed... I'm very self-consumed. Yeah. Remember we lived here in the 80s where there yeah. was no traffic. Yeah. There were tumbleweeds, yeah. right, during the oil crash. You know, I think um, Denver has sort of the old school tech scene, which is telecom and cable, which was obviously incredibly successful to create wealth. And I think it has the new school tech scene. And I think, can we be more than just a bunch of people trying things? Can we also be a bunch of people trying things and seeing success? And that doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be some massive unicorn-like exit. But I think it would be unfortunate if all of us who are working so hard to make the Denver-Boulder tech scene better, if it was just a whole bunch of revolving door startups. So it's a great place to go and maybe try some stuff and fail and then move on. Like, I think it would be great if we could repeatedly point to successes. And I think we've been able to do that. They're not some of the big names you see, but I think we can be there. And I think with... I mean, look how many people were here at, at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then you've got these Techstars classes, and you've got Galvanize, you've got bigger companies. You know, I love the fact that there's lots of corporate accelerators now. I think if we could take big company technology and small company technology and move that in the Denver-Boulder area, that could be really interesting. What are some of the companies or concepts and, or industries that are, you're excited about right now? What are you seeing both uh, here in Colorado and, and elsewhere? Well, I think in Pittsburgh, it was pretty exciting that they've got self-driving Uber right now. Yeah. I would have loved to have had a self-driving Uber today because my guy had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. You know, getting down here from the Golden Triangle yeah, it is, to here. It is amazing that they're not, like, comparing the problems of the self-driving Uber to the median Uber driver because I'm going to go ahead and say that just on, like, um, you know, uh, air freshener alone, the experience is problematic. Yeah. I mean, the UberX is a is dangerous, but it's really cheap, so we all use it. Um, and I love Uber, like don't get me wrong, but I think the self-driving thing is really interesting. I think I will go conceptually. I think a lot of the buzz in the internet industry these days um, have been companies that are about entertainment and infotainment and, for lack of a better word, useless stuff. There is nothing sort of on BuzzFeed or Thrill List that I need to live my life. There's a lot on HuffPo that I don't need to live my life. But a lot of these folks who are sort of getting big valuations and seeing things, it's a lot of entertainment type of stuff. And I'm a big fan of the internet or mobile apps or technology sort of being there to make something that's offline needed but inefficient more useful and efficient. 
right? So utility, utility. I'm a huge utility driver, and it's the, it's probably the the, the word I use probably overuse with my team is are we providing utility value to these folks? And I was talking to Danny earlier, you know, shopping's going to change the way people look at stuff. Um, I don't yet have Alexa in my house because I'm afraid of what it will do to my kids or what my kids will do to it. But Come on over to my place and see that firsthand. All of you. Yeah, but I can't Amazon walk there boxes. anymore, so that's yeah. hard. And so uh, the folks who started Shop Savvy who work for us are, have just submitted to their app store you know, some shopping stuff. So that to me is real utility. So I'm all about the internet making things more useful for people because offline it didn't work well. Uh, but Uber's a great example of that. Right, I think Airbnb is a great example of that, that kind of stuff. You'll still need to fill your uh, self-driving car time with entertainment. That's right. If you can get in a self-driving car and not have to sort of worry about what the guy's doing in the front seat, you know, you can sit there and scroll through listicles. Right? I mean, the listicle thing is unbelievable to me. Seven best cheeseburgers south of Houston in New York City. Yeah. Twelve things. Easy, fun easy, kids easy, do. easy, easy. Okay. I this is what I do for it. a living. I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> appreciate it. We don't do enough of it, actually. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Doug. Appreciate it. It's great having you. Thank you very much. And, and if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, on Twitter at not. Doug Llewellyn, or uh, nobody knows how to spell Llewellyn, so I'm gonna have to do that. Go ahead. Uh, you can email me at d Llewellyn l l e w e l l y n at purge.com. P u r c h. dot com. Awesome. Thanks for being on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Turnpikers, a show about the people who make up the Denver and Boulder tech community. You can reach us directly and discover more information at turnpikers.com and follow us at Turnpikers on Twitter. Please send us your questions and recommend future guests. 